You guys awake? Yeah. Good, because I'm still waking up. So. It's been uh, quite a, a long couple days. Three days, about 10 hours of sleep. It's, uh, it, it's all good, right? Just say it's all good. Thank you. I'm trying to believe that right now, too. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, just, just five more hours, just five more hours. <laughs> but, all right, how many of you guys were with us last week? About half of you. Okay, good. The rest of you just didn't raise your hand, so we'll work on that later. Um, so what did we talk about last week? You guys remember? Good answer, good answer. Not really going to give them points for that one, but, you know, nice try, though. So we talked about the weight of sin versus the measure of grace that is given to us. We were um, in Romans. I'm, I'm not going to keep going with that per se, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick in uh, Romans a little bit more here. We're going to talk about some things. And, but I, I do want to kind of highlight some things that we did talk about um, last week. You know, I talked about how growing up, I, I, you know, and, and a lot of us, I know, especially if you're under 20, you probably haven't, but if you're over 20, you probably grew up in a lot of um, denominations or where it was very much a, um, a either works mentality or we're never good enough, keep trying, keep going, hey, you might, you might reach it one day, kind of a mentality that we were never good enough to be associated with Christ. Even though he redeemed us, we're still just this, this miserable wretch that is just you know, worthless, but it's only by the grace of God that we're ever worth anything. But that's not true. It's, there is worth in us even before we came to Christ. Because God said, I'm going to send my son. He sends his son because he saw worth in somebody before they were right, before they were justified in Christ. So I don't know how, about, how many of you guys are that way, but um, it's, sometimes it's hard to find good in people. You see something and you're like, you know, they just, it's hard to find gold in people. It's hard to find what's valuable in people sometimes because the dirt outweighs the gold sometimes. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it's just like, I know there's gold in there sometimes, but I'm sick of looking for it. And, 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 but God said, you know what? There's, there's dirt everywhere, but he saw gold. He saw that little fleck of gold in all of us before he even sent his son. He goes, I see gold in every person. I see something valuable in every person that I'm going to send my son. Yeah. And what happens is, is as Christians, we, we tended to get into that mindset of, of we're all really just kind of retrobates and, and we're not really worth a whole lot, but it's only the grace of God that makes us worth something. But it's, it's the grace of God that covers our sins because we are worth it. God said, you're worth it. If, if we had no worth, he wouldn't have sent his son. If we had no worth to God, he would not have sent his son to die for our sins. But he saw that we had worth and said, you know what? I'm going to send something that's going to redeem them and bring out what is good in them. Because here's the thing. We could be far from God. We could be living in sin, but we're still created in the image of God. So there's something that is worth something in every person on this earth today, whether we see it or not. The murderer, the, uh, the, the serial killer that's sitting in jail, there's, God still sees something that's worth in that person. He sees their sin, but he says, you know what, if I still see that there's something of value in that person because I want them to come to me. 
So we, we look at sin and we, we go, okay, well, sin is this. And, and um, Layla and I were driving in the car and um, actually we were watching a, um, a TV show and um, it was funny because he's like, the guy falls asleep in the, during the sermon and, and, and everybody, when he wakes up, he get, they're all talking about the sermon in front of the pastor and, and he's like, oh, that was such a good message. Yeah, yeah, you can never talk about that enough. And what is that? Sin. And I was like, okay. Oh, and he, he completely fell asleep, and he wasn't even talking about that, but the guy's just like, yeah, sin, because he was completely fell asleep during the show, um, during the show, um, during the sermon on the TV show, and Layla and I were just laughing about it, and we're wa- driving down the road, we're like, never talk about that enough, good old sin. And, um, and I was, I, sin is such a, a, a touchy subject, because you've got two mindsets in the church today. You've got, we've got to talk about how, miserable and wretched we are to this group and then you've got another group that's like oh we're perfect god doesn't don't worry about it we have to find the the balance of sin and grace because i said last week i said no matter how much sin you have a drop of the blood of jesus is enough to cover the entire world the blood of jesus is so powerful we don't need every ounce of blood to cover our sin it's literally the first blood drop that touched the ground redeemed the ground where it had been because of the blood of Jesus. His blood was shed, he was perfect, and he was without sin. So his blood literally redeemed the, us from sin because of what he was and who he was. So sin and death no longer define us. We, if, if sin and death define us, then we are living under the curse. Because under the curse, that's what defined them. Sin defined who they were. Because I had this 600 laws and 40 thing, different things and, and five different ways to do this. And there was like a recipe book for how to be, get redeemed from sin under the law. They're like an instruction manual. Okay, now you got to do this and then you got to go do this and you got to do this. And it's plain and simple now. We have Jesus Christ and when we receive him as Savior, it says the curse of the law is, is gone from us. And grace is poured into our life, so we now have redemption from sin. That's an amazing thing right there. So in Romans 8, he says, but now that you're not, you're not a child of sin and a child of iniquity, you're a child of light, he said, Paul says, we have to live life through the Spirit. Life through the Spirit is this. We have to put away our fleshly desires, our the, the natural desires of who we are. And, and what happens is, 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 you ever wake up and you're just like, I just don't want Jesus to be part of this conversation I'm going to have with this person today when I go into work because I don't want to, I'm going to say a few things I really want to say and I'm going to do some things I, I really want to do and they're not going to like it and I don't really care. That's the things that we have to put to death every morning. When we get up, we have to say, you know, today I carry my cross, I pick it up, and I die to sin, and I am alive in Christ. That means the Spirit of God is living in us, the Redeemer living in us. What happens is, is He then guides who we are and how we relate to people and how we talk to people and how we see people. Life without the Holy Spirit, we see everybody as crud and we like, well, you know, they're just this and they're just this. But with life with the Spirit, what happens is, is we start to see who people are. We start, start to see their sin, but we also start to see what God has created them for. 
My biggest problem as a leader is I tend to look past the sin and I see what they could be 10 years down the road. And sometimes I have to say, you know, I can't, they, I can't, I have to see, I have to look today. I see what they're going to be, but I have to look into the future slowly because otherwise I'm just like, oh, I see what they're going to be. Come here. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. But their, their character and their, their ability hasn't caught up to what they are. So I have to look into the future and say, hey, 10 years from now, they're going to be a, a, an amazing evangelist or amazing pastor. But what I have to do is I have to take it a little, I have to step back in a year and then another year and another year and say, okay, what are we going to do now to get them to that point? When I'm going to finish with this and then we'll move on. When we focus on sin as believers, we look for sin around us. It's like... Someone who's been trained to find blemishes in, in, um, in something. Um, Nicole knows this very well. When you, it, she works with auto parts, and when you look for mirrors and handles, you look for blemishes in the paint, in the plastic, and you're trained to do that. But what happens is as believers, when we focus on sin, we train ourselves to look for the blemishes and the flaws in people around us. We, we tend to, oh, well, you know, they did this and they did this and, and I saw this in their life. And, and, we, and then what happens is we discount these people. We put them into the, the 75% off category of, well, they're just not quite good enough. When we focus on sin, we find the sin in, in people. When we focus on Christ, we see what Christ has created them to be. We have to look at people and say their sin does not define them at this moment. Their sin is what is taking charge of their life at, at, right at, at that point. But what happens is when Christ comes into their life, it doesn't define them anymore. They, we can look at people and go, well, you know, they're sinning or they're born again, but they're still sinning. Here's the thing is Christianity and salvation is, salvation is, is, a, is a, oh, a one-time thing. We don't have to keep going back for it. But what happens is, is we, uh, we tend to look at people and go, okay, their, their sin is defining them. Well, Christianity, as we grow, we, we, we work out our salvation. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what he's doing is he's, he's saying, it's not going to all end immediately. And we, I think as Christians, a lot of times we look at other people and we expect them, oh, well, they're born again. They should just stop doing everything they've done. How many of you guys, as soon as you were born again, ever, never sinned again? Okay, thank you. There we go. So we have to have that grace to look at people and say, you know what? They're born again. Do they have some flaws? Absolutely. How many of you guys have flaws? All right, thank you. You guys are being honest with me today. So we have to look at people and say, okay, they have flaws. They still have sin in their life, but God has created them for a purpose and a plan, yeah. and we have to quit looking at their flaws yes. and look at what's valuable in them. Yeah. So turn to Romans 5 for me. I love this scripture. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak at the right time, this is the ESV, Christ died for the ungodly. So, 
how, how amazing is that? He, he's, he didn't say, well, you've got to come to church and you've got to you do all these things. And when you're strong, then you're going to be enough for me to die for you. He's like, no, while you were weak, while you were... Lo-. Look at the, the prodigal son. He, he takes his father's wealth. He takes what he has given his birthright and he squanders it. And he's literally living with pigs eating what they would eat. And what happens is he's weak, he's vulnerable, he's sick. He, he, and what happens is he comes back to his father. And his father says he was looking from afar off. So that means his dad was probably standing in a, in a room or a, a section of his house or the property that he could see down the road. And so the son comes back to him weak, miserable, pitiful, covered in poo. You know, and, and he's literally eating what the pigs would have eaten. And the, and the father looks and he says, I see my son. He comes back to me weak, but I bring him back in to the fold. He's, he doesn't like, well, you know, you took all your inheritance, you squandered it on, you know, video games, drugs, and, and prostitutes. He goes, no. He goes, you, he brings him back and says, you know what? Get a robe, get a ring, get a cow. We're going to have a feast. So the father sees him weak coming back and it says that Jesus died for us when we were weak not when we were strong what makes us strong is Christ in us what makes us weak is sin so God says you know what I see sin on the earth I see sin upon the face of the earth I'm going to send my son to die for you because you know what not a single person on that earth was strong The only person on earth when Christ was walking on earth was Christ because sin had contaminated it. I'm so glad we live after death, burial, and resurrection. The law that we would be under right now is so immense that we wouldn't, we would be, we'd be home crying right now. I'm just saying. Okay, so 5 7 says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one should dare to even die, excuse me, would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall be saved, excuse me, much more shall be, we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Anybody know what reconciliation means? Good. So, I love Greek. I can't speak it. Don't know how to pronounce half of it, but love it. Um, Reconciliation, if you look at the Greek, some of the Greek thesauruses and, and dictionaries, reconciliation means restoration. As a resulting of Christ exactly, precisely exchanging his righteousness and his blood for our guilt. I think that's, that's really good. Is He precisely exchanged his righteousness, his blood for our guilt. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm just going to throw a blanket out there. God said, I'm going to, I'm going to, Take my son and his blood is going to be precisely um, pinpointed at 
what it needs to be. Not just like, oh, we're just going to throw a blanket clause out there and it covers everything. No. He said, you know what? Their sin is what keeps them from me. Their sin is what keeps them from being in relationship with me. And so he says, you know, I'm going to throw my son into the mix and his blood is going to be precisely exchanged for their sin. So when, he po- when Satan pulled the weight out and he, or the measure out and he said, you know what, here, we're going we're gonna to weigh this out and look at all their sin. And God's like, you know what, a little drop of blood, boop. And it outweighed it. He said, you know, my, blood is pre- his, my son's blood is precisely there to cover what you are trying to hold against them. Because what Satan will do is he will take your sin, which he is the author of, which he is the one who loves it, and he's going to use the sin that he's taught you how to do and use it against you. He's going to remind you of it. He's going to be like, well, you know, you did this. And you're like, but you're the one that suggested that to me. Isn't it funny? You ever had a person that does that to you? Oh, I I really suggest you do that. Well, why'd you do that? Because you told me to. And that's how Satan is. Well, you know, I really, I really think you should do this. And because while we were still weak, we said, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. And then Christ comes into the picture and he's like, you know what? Now you are redeemed. You're justified. My blood has paid for your sin. And Satan's like, hey, you remember when you did that? Remember when you, you said that? Why'd you do that? He uses condemnation to bring believers to their knees and say, well, you know, I'm just a worthless wretch and God doesn't, and I just got to do better before God to love me. I love how he thinks that he can use our past sins to bring us back into sin. Well, you did this, so why do you, you know, you're not good enough, you, you you stop doing it, but you still, you still want to do it. And then he, he draws us back into sin. Romans 5.16. Excuse me, 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. The the free gift following many trespass brought justification. For because one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's a lot right there. You ever read through Romans and you read it and you're like, yeah, that was good. And then you go back and start reading it again and you really focus on a couple uh, verses and you're like, Paul packaged a lot of material into one book. The book of Romans talks about who we are so much and what Christ did so much that it, it literally, you could... I could speak in, in Romans for a year and not cover everything because Paul literally encrypts so many things in so much. And that's what's cool about the Word of God is he, God hides things in His Word for us to find. It's not like, hey, good luck finding it. He just puts things in there. And you guys, it's like, oh, I read the Scripture and then you read it again. 
and then you read it again and you read it again and you read it again and every time you get something new because he's hiding things for us to, to find out who he is, his character. Verse 18, Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So the one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He taught, Paul talks about trespass. He says one man's sin caused sin to be rampant through the entire human race. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate that. I mean, it's like, come on, man. You know what? But you know what? I look at it and say, I'm not glad he did it. I'm not happy that he did it. But... How much better do we have it with Christ Jesus, the person of Christ Jesus living inside us and the Holy Spirit as our guide, our helper, and our empower than, than Adam did after the fall? He said that, that he was separated from God. And God literally kind of pushed them out of the garden, pushed them out of that spot where the garden is kind of a representation of, of, of unity with God, if you look at it, because it's not just the garden and it was a great place to live, but it was literally the place that God was with them. It was, it was an area that, that they had oneness with God. And as soon as they were done, God drove them out of the, and as soon as sin came in, God drove them out of the garden. Because that was a spot that was created for a relationship with God. He put the garden and said, hey, this is all yours, but don't do this. God created that garden for man to live in, to have unity with him, so he could come down in the cool of the day and say, hey, Adam, what's going on today? Well, we just got a couple new animals. I named it this, this, and this. We grew some new crops, and I called it this. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. Uh, think about this. God created the heavens and the earth. God is still creating. We're still finding new species. We're still finding new things. And, and I guarantee you, God would come down, and Adam would say, hey, I named it this found something new, and I named it this. It was a conversation piece. But what was happening is, is that garden was a, an area, was a circle of grace, was a circle of relationship. And what happened to us is as soon as Adam sinned, God said, you can't be in this area anymore. This is, this is where you and I have unity. This is where you and I have right relationship. And he's like, I'm sorry, you can't be here anymore. So what, what does it say in Genesis? It says, an angel of the Lord came and drove them out. And they couldn't enter back into it. Think about this. You, you have a, a perfect relationship with God and then you're drove out of the, the, the place that's perfect for you. Has every need, every supply that you'll, you would ever need or have is supplied for you. And you try to go back in there and there's an angel of the Lord standing there with a sword saying, you're not going to enter. You've now just lost perfect relationship with God and you've lost your perfect living place. Can you imagine the, 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 the loss and the sorrow that they had from not only 
losing their, their, their living place. Oh man, now we don't have a place to live. But the, what was draw, taken away from them when they sinned was that right relationship with God. That was the greatest sorrow, I guarantee you, that they had. What happened was is this, is after they sinned, judgment followed. After judgment followed, condemnation came in. But God said, you know what? You, 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 walked out, you, you chose to walk out of perfect relationship with me. You to- chose to leave the garden. They were, yes, they were drove out of the garden, but they chose to leave the garden. They chose to be like God. What did, the, what did the serpent say to him? You know, if you eat this, you'll know what God knows. You'll see what God sees. He's basically saying, hey, God's holding this back from you so you don't know what he knows, so you can't be what he is. And Adam and Eve are stupid enough to believe that. But what happens is, is one man's trespasses, one man's sin released God to say, you know what? I guarantee you God wasn't like a, uh, about 400 years later. You know what? Maybe I should send my son. He knew what was going to happen. So the moment he did, he's like, I get to send my son. It's the same way when he returns. He's like, I get to send my son. And Jesus is waiting at the, at the line. You know, when you're sitting there at the race and you're just like, okay, you're ready. You're twitching. You're waiting for that gun to sound. That's what Jesus is like. He's just sitting on the edge of his, sitting next to the, the throne of God. It's like, okay, when do we go? When do we go? Because he's waiting to come back. He's not just like, well, whenever you tell me to come back, I'll, I'll, I'll mosey on down there and pick them all up and bring them all back. Um, he's literally waiting in a crouched position to charge back, to take his bride back with him. And it says one man's trespasses brought judgment. It brought condemnation. It brought death. It brought separation, eternal separation from Jesus Christ. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ. They call him the second Adam for a reason because he is sinless. He is the beginning of a new birth in believers, in his kingdom. God's saying, okay, I'm going to send him back to earth to die. Okay, Jesus didn't just show up one day when God says, I need to, send, I need to create a son and um, I'm going to send him to die. No, it talks about in, in, the, in Genesis, it says, let's make man in our image. What is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible. He is what God looks like in a, in a humanly form, if, if we can describe it the best way possible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And when he came to earth, God says, you know what, we're going to make man in our image. There's something valuable in every man because, you know what, I breathe life into them. Whether we are sinners or not, there is something of God in us because he breathed life into us. Jesus took the dirt and created eyes for a man the same way God created us out of the dirt. So when Jesus came to earth, he saw what God created. He didn't see the sin. The trespass of one man created condemnation for all men 
that it would be held against them, that they would be judged for that. But it says one man's obedience made us righteous. One man's obedience made us righteous in the sight of God. It says that we might reign with righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus. How much more did grace cover the unmeasurable amount of sin? You know, we were talk, I talked about this last week. Is sometimes we sin and we don't even realize it. And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I did that. Or I, I, you know, God's like, hey, guess what you did in the later in the day? And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. Turn to Romans 7 for me, and then I'll continue. Verse 4. So Paul talks about how the, the, the law bound us. It was binding to us. It constricted us and, and made us do things we didn't want to do in order to be right with God. It, it created so many rules and regulations that we had to do this and do that and do this, and you had to have a dove on this time and a goat on this time and a lamb on this time. You know, it, there were so many rules and regulations that you had to go through to be right with God. But then Jesus shows up and Paul says this. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh and our sinful passions, aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we were released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So, the law was written down. Moses brought Ten Commandments, basic Ten Commandments, easy to live by, really failed at living by it. And they said, okay, we're just going to expand on this. We're making a little cliff note here, a little cliff note under this one. Where You know, when you do your outline of your 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 story or your paper and you write, okay, here's the main topic. And then you have topic here, topic here, topic here. That's underneath of it. That fits into it. Yeah. So that's how the law was. Okay. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then let's like add another one. Just, just so we, we kind of, you know, know all the little details of it. We're going to explain every little detail just to make sure. So if this happens in this and this and this and this and this, and thou shalt not kill, but you know, only if this and this, it, they added so many sub-notes to each one that they, they created a, a, uh, a set of rules that no one could live by. I remember in, um, in high school, we had a Christian college come and, and um, like come in and, and do an um, a explanation of their college and stuff like that. And they had this little booklet, and I was reading this, and I'm like, and it said, Visual Intercourse. And I was like, you know, me and uh, 17 years old and uh, me not being sarcastic and um, very respectful at 17, I'm, I'm like, um, uh, I said, uh, visual intercourse. I said, uh, can you explain that? And the guy looked at me and he said, um, what? I said, yeah, I, want, I really want to know what this visual intercourse thing is. Um, he said, well... Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. I said, well, duh. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I, we know that. 
And then he said, well, we have a rule at our school that if you look at a girl for more than 10 seconds, you can be considered in visual intercourse and you can be reprimanded for that. I said, I was like, oh, man, I said, I'm set free from the curse of the law. No, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Think about it. That is what man has done. Even with the grace of Christ Jesus, we've created a, a visual intercourse. Oh, I looked at, oh, I'm sorry. I looked at uh, Sarah for 15 seconds. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, think about this. We, we've created laws and literally these rules in order to, to control and, and bridle man. But Paul says life through the spirit is what it leads us. Hey, so don't quit looking at each other. Gosh, you guys. But that, 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 that rule, that little book, I should have just saved it and highlighted it. But man, it just stuck out to me and I just laughed about it. And I, I got in trouble, but um, I, I went to Christian school my entire life. I really didn't fit in. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, it was, um, well, I, I'm sorry, I should say religious school. Um, there you go. There we go. Um, but I remember like growing up and... We had, you know, it was a, a kind of a dress code. You had to wear a belt and all that stuff. And I never wore a belt. I just, like, I hated belts. You know, I, I, first of all, I hated dress pants. And, and I hated dress shoes. And I hated dress shirts. And you had to tuck them in. And you had to you do all these things. And, and they literally made it. There was all these little sub rules underneath. Well, you didn't have the right, right belt on. You're like, if you had dark pants, you needed to wear a dark belt. If you had this, you know, I was like, and you couldn't wear any kind of tennis shoes. You had to wear either dress shoes or a solid black, you know, uh, casual shoe. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, you, if you talk to my parents, they'd be like, oh, this kid got so many detentions for pushing the limits. I was like, I'd come in with like black, solid black Nikes. Those are tennis shoes. I said, but you said solid black shoes. Uh, and, and then they would be like, well, you know, the exception is, is it has to be a loafer style, casual shoe. Um, you know, they, they would come up with more ways to create control. And that's what the law was. It was to control man. It's funny, I wear a belt all the time now, but when I was 17, it's like, I ain't wearing a belt. You know, they're like, you don't have a belt on today. That's a demerit. I'm like, ooh, and that's another one. That was another one. So three demerits, you got a detention. And I was like, okay, I'm like, they're like, you just don't behave. I said, no. I said, you just got too many rules and regulations. But that's how the law was. Can you imagine Jesus going through modern day or through uh, Israel and be like, oh my gosh, how do you guys even live? You're creating this rule for this. If your shirt's not tucked in properly, if you got one, one spot tucked in and, and you know, it's Sabbath and you, and, you, and you had to go out and get your mule out of the mud. Oh my gosh, you're put to death for that. You know, it's just, it's stupid things. And I, I was listening to something, and the guy's like, well, I can't go to a birthday party on the Sabbath. And I just feel, you know, what do I tell these people? Tell them you're stupid. <laughs> and, and here's why. Is, yes, the Sabbath is holy, but God also says, the day is holy, but it's not the day itself. It's what it means and in our hearts. The day is, yes, we go to church. Okay, is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? We're not going to get into that. But here's the thing. God says, keep it holy. Be holy for I am holy. And so we, we create these rules. Well, I can't go to a birthday party on, on a Sunday after church. What do I tell the people? Oh my gosh, God doesn't want you to go to a birthday party because it's on Sunday. 
or it's on Saturday, whatever one you choose. And it's like, you know what? God doesn't, God doesn't work that way. Think about this. If somebody who is an unbeliever invites you to a birthday party at 12 o'clock this afternoon and you're like, well, it's the Sabbath and I really can't go because I was just hanging out with God today. And God's like, no, go because they're an unbeliever. And you know what? You have the ability to speak into their life. God's more concerned about them than he is, is of making sure that you don't do something at the end, after you get out of church. I would have been put to death back then. I'm just saying. Uh, they would have been like, we're going to stone you because you were disrespectful to your teachers, your parents. Don't be disrespectful to your parents, Layla. Um, or, <laughs> but, you know, I look at it and it's like, man, we, man created so many rules to bridle everything. Paul talks about it. What do we do with a horse? We put blinders on it. We put a bridle on it to direct it where we want to go. So that's what the law did to man. We're, we're just going to put a bridle in it and a goad and poke it when, it when we want it to go a certain place. But God says, you know, I'm going to send my son so there's grace and that the Holy Spirit can live in them. So they, the rules are written on their heart. The law that, that controlled man is now covered by grace. And the law, yes, it had good points, but it just got crazy. God's like, I want to write my laws upon your heart. I want them to live inside of you so you don't have to go up to the board and go, okay, what did I, crap, I did that. <laughs> Think about this. Six, what is it, Wayne, 600 and how many laws? I don't even remember what they are. There's, there's close to 700 of them. Can you imagine the book you'd have to carry around for the paragraphs you'd have to read? Oh, darn gone it. Well, we ain't going to tell anybody I did that one. Close the book and, <laughs> and continue on. Think about it. That's, that's how they lived. They would hide in secrecy because they were so afraid of doing something wrong that they would literally hide and, and, and conceal things. And what happens with concealment? Sin, sin grows in concealment. Yeah. So sin abounded. The law was not sin, but the law created such a, a, an atmosphere for sin to be hidden that God said, you know what? I need grace. God had a plan. He said, my son is going to create something that is, is freedom. Because this, the, law, the law, even with its good intent, got exploited by man to control people. And God said, it's not about control. It's about freedom and understanding what I want for them. Romans 7, 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me that w- in me through what is good. In order, okay, so you hear what he said? Paul said it was good. The law was good, but because of what they had done, sin started to grow in me through something that was good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, I do what I want, but I do the very thing I don't want to do and I hate. Paul's saying, I am a sinner. Paul's like, I do things I don't want to do. Paul was a little, we'll put it blunt. <laughs> Paul was a little blunt when you, when you read to the books that he was writing to. There's a couple times he's just like, if you, if you can't deal with it, just lop it off. Just, 
just deal with it that way. Paul's saying, hey, I'm a sinner. There's things I don't want to do, but I do them. And there's things that I do want to do, but I don't do them. So sometimes he got a little lazy. But he said, I am under, I am of the flesh. All right. And then, verse 16 says, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So that it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells within me. For now that's, excuse me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what keeps on doing. Now if I do what I want and I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's a mouthful. We could, we'll, we could get into that for like a week. Um, verse 21, So I find it to be the law that when I do, excuse me, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who, I, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law. Okay, so we have to look at, Paul says, wretched flesh. And that's where a lot of people get their whole mindset of, we're just crap. It's not true. Our flesh, there is nothing good in our flesh. It is our spirit the flesh is simply just a house for it. So when people are like, well, you know what? We're just going to, you know, just, I'm a wretched person. Well, you know what? Our flesh, because it is controlled by sin, may be. But when God sent his son, he didn't send his son to die for our flesh. Okay, don't get me wrong, and, and don't take this as, uh, what I'm saying is this, is he did not send his son to die for our body. He sent his son to die for our soul and spirit. So we could be unified with God. Does his son dying on the cross cover part of our flesh? Absolutely, because we can get healing. Anybody with a headache this morning? Head area? Okay. Maybe it's just me. A little bit of a, a little bit. Okay. So he sent his son to die for our spirit, first of all. But his blood covers our flesh, too. So Paul's saying my flesh, which is led by sin because it was controlled by sin, but it doesn't define me. Because he says that our, our flesh needs to submit to our body. Or excuse me, our flesh needs to submit to our spirit. So the spirit, it reigns in life. Because this is going to fade away. He's like, I need my flesh to line up with my spirit. So my spirit directs it. So I know what my spirit is telling it to do. So the flesh goes, yes, sir. That's why he says, pick up your cross daily. He says, your flesh needs to die daily and your spirit needs to die daily to, to realign yourself with Jesus Christ and say, you know what? My flesh got out of line. I need to crucify it daily and say, you know what? You're going to come into submission to what I'm telling you to do. Anytime you ever had a situation where your, your, your spirit says, this is what you should do, and your flesh is like, well, I'm just going to do that because I want to do that. That's that Jesus stay in the car moment. 
Jesus, stay in the car. Conscience, stay in the car. Holy Spirit, don't come with me on this one. I'm going to go do what I need to do. But Paul says, you know what? You need to crucify your flesh. So that way, the Spirit reigns in us, controls what we are doing. Excuse me, I'm sorry to say it. Controls, but guides us. Doesn't control. Paul says, I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law. Think about this. Paul is not under anything but the law at that moment. But he says, in my mind, what do I do? I serve the law of God. But he says, with my body, I serve the law of man. And that's what he's, he's literally having to submit to the law in that area where he's in. And Paul knows the law. He is a, a teacher of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, a, he was so knowledgeable in it. That's why they sent him after people because he knew it so well. He could say, hey, caught you in that. Drag him off. Caught you in that. Paul could recite everything. If he, when he talks about how much of a a student of the law he was and how much he knew the law. We're talking, this man could recite the, the, old, um, the old Testament in the books of Moses. He, could, he knew them so well. He could just say, well, in this, this, and this, and this, and this verse, and this chapter says this. He said, and you are guilty of this. But Paul had a transformation. And he says, you know what? Now I serve the law of God in my mind. Because he knows what has been written on his heart but he has to also conform to the law in the world. And, and he's, he's, he's working. Paul wasn't exactly um, a Boy Scout, let's just put it that way. He was a little gruff, a little violent in his past. I mean, he put a lot of people to death. But Paul's saying, you know, I know what God has written on my heart. Again, Paul understood when you go into certain areas, you, you, you operate in that area with their customs and their laws and you do what you need to do. But he said, it's in my heart is what I know. It. So what happens is, is, as Christians, if we do not start to, to take what God has written into our hearts and live by that instead of saying, well, you know, I, it says here I need to do this and I need to do this. And, and, and there's a lot of things that, the Word of God says do, and we need to do. But what happens is, is we tend to get into a mindset of, well, I'm just going to do it this way, and I'm going to do it this way, and I feel like we need to do this. And there's personal convictions, don't get me wrong. Some people have personal convictions about different things, but what we need to do is quit looking at every rule and say, well, you know, I looked at a person for more than 10 seconds, and, and, I, in my, in, and I didn't say this to the guy when he was telling me about this, but I said, what if I look at that boy over there? For 10 seconds. I, I, I didn't say that, but I really wanted to, just because I'm me. And, but we create things. People who are under grace are still creating laws and rules in order to control people to bring them into right standing with God. To follow this. Well, you have to follow this, and you have to follow this. You know what? There are things we have to follow in the Word of God because they are His Word and it's what He's commanded us to do. But we've got to quit trying to create things and mindsets in people to say, well, you need to do this because this is how God's going to be happy with you. 
This is what's going to happen. You need to follow this and you need to do this. And that's how you're going to be in right standing with God. Right standing with God comes through Christ Jesus and only through Christ Jesus. Yes, do we want to live righteous lives? Absolutely. But it only comes through Christ Jesus, not through following rules, regulations, and little laws that we set up to keep people from staring at each other. Let's pray. Put it on your belly and say, that's where life comes from. You know, out of the wellspring. You know, but you just take that moment and say, you know, Jesus, you know, I love you. I don't, you don't need to sit there and tell them you're a sinner and all your sins. We're not going to confessional. Even sinners who are unrepentant know that they're living in sin. So if there's sin, it doesn't, you know, you go and have that relationship. And you don't need to talk about your sin. You already know that Christ is covering that. You talk about your relationship with him. God, you know, take me to new levels in my mindsets. Christ, take those old religious things out of my mind. You know, fill my heart. Let me feel what, how yours beats. What am I chasing after? What am I trying to follow? receiving from him right now. He's got something new for you today that's different than what he has for the person sitting next to you. Because he's not a celebrity in your life any longer. If you take that moment, he is in a relationship with you. Every intimate part, which means he's got new ideas, he's got new comforts, he's got new everything. He says you're valuable so he saw a relationship with you and then you say to christ you're valuable and now i'm seeking a relationship with you it goes both ways so lord we just thank you that you are just refreshing us we love you you know we already know we know because our heart is connected to you lord i thank you for the fresh download for everybody here for each individual thing that you just gave to them your, you know, the time that you have sown into them and then the words you have spoken to them, Lord. I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Ooh, that's good. See, we're changing how altar calls go. I don't know. Next week, maybe we'll just get up and run around. I don't know. <laughs> you know, because that's how, that, that is how God is. As soon as you think you got him figured out, then you got him put in a religious box. And he is never going to stay there. So if you like things being the same, I'll get you a list of churches that will stay that way. But this...